I'm Joan Hogan welcoming you to the Prairie Doc radio program. Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc, is actually here, ready to answer your questions of a medical nature. Dr. Holm's specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avira Medical Group Brookings and has served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota's Sanford School of Medicine. Good morning, Dr. Holm. Good morning, Joan Hogan. So nice to see you this beautiful day in December. Actually, I sent you a message before you sent me a message to you know to let you know that I was aware of it all. I was going to remind you that you want to make sure to, that we're doing radio show this morning. Don't be late. Okay, I didn't get. And your then message. you didn't see it, and of course I saw your reminder of, that came pretty shortly thereafter. Yeah. Somehow I and missed your message. Subsequently, I'm I'm at Cook's Kitchen. I totally lost myself i mean i'm just gone and i looked up and there it is uh, 25 minutes after <laughs> well you if you leave cook's oh. kitchen at 25 after oh. and you're here now you have to be a pretty healthy guy i was yeah i didn't walk i, I drove and even I, so that's I drove, really quite i drove carefully though but I, anyway like what, so. I, I, what i was doing was writing about listening <laughs> listening listening very important and why were you writing about listening? Well, really the, the impetus of this whole listening thing had to do with a Mother Teresa quote. <coughs> Good person to quote. What did Mother Teresa say about listening? Well, some, it was a famous interviewer. Uh, I think it was Dan Rather or somebody said, mm-hmm. well, so <coughs> um, what do you say to God when you're praying? And Mother Teresa said, I listen. And so the interviewer followed through with the question, well then, what does God say back to you? And Mother Teresa responded, he listens. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. So So made you think about listening. Well, if you think about... God listens, we listen. Listening uh, is important. uh, I think in our normal day-to-day interaction, a lot of people don't listen uh, hard. Uh, We hear the other person say, blah-de-dee-blah, and you go, gee, what am I going to say in response to blah-de-dee-blah? You're not thinking what... It was that that person said. You weren't intensely listening uh, to the content or what more was meant, but uh, you were thinking what I'm going to say in response uh, at the best. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good response, but think about it. It is very self, self, self. We, um, and, and part of what uh, I am saying in the introduction to my book, which is what I'm writing right now, and I'm, it's this is the third or fourth or fifth or twentieth version actually, is uh, something that's happened in my lifetime as a physician. The most important diagnostic tool that I have is to listen. I mean, it's not it's not listening just with the ears. It's listening with my eyes and with my touch and with my smell and with every sense that I have about what that person is is saying and also what is happening. You know, when a person says, I'm having back pain, uh, sometimes they're saying, I don't like my life, or I'm disappointed, or I'm lonely. Uh, sometimes uh, they, uh, they aren't saying, 
I'm just not right, doctor. And you can see the weight loss. You can see the uh, color uh, of the sclera in their eyes. You can smell the ketosis. Um, if you're really a good doctor, uh, you practice your whole life getting better at listening. That mm. your, is your, by far, without a doubt, the most important thing, and that is to sense the other person in the room as with all the senses that you can. And, you know, there's some byproducts of that whole process. Um, if you learn uh, to listen as hard, you learn to understand the needs, the talents, the strengths, the weaknesses of that other person. Uh, you also uh, learn... Uh, and understand that other patient is sometimes in pain or is being harmed by an illness or a tumor or an infection or harmful thoughts or maybe even being harmed by another person. If you listen carefully to that person, uh, you can also learn. A person who is always talking never learns a darn thing. <clears throat> if you listen to what the other person is saying about something, you can learn about the topic the other person is chatting about. Uh, uh, but mostly, uh, I think uh, you can also, as a physician or really as a caring person, you can discover ways to help that other person if you really listen and hear what they're saying which is oftentimes covered up by 14 layers of nuance and pretense and pain. Um, and finally, uh, I think uh, probably most important is that you can discover ways to help the other person, to help the other person prosper, to help the person uh, in, the, in the other side of the room uh, get better. That's your goal as a physician to help them. And uh, it, it happens uh, by valuing the other person enough uh, to truly listen. And really, if you think about it, there's no greater compliment that you can ever give a person. Probably the nicest gift you can really give another person is to listen. Absolutely. And I appreciate our audience listening to you and okay. listening to your words of wisdom. And I appreciate hearing them myself. We're going to take our first break. We'll be back right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Dr. Rick Holm and I, Joan Hogan, are here ready to answer any questions you might have of a medical nature. At the outset of our program, Dr. Holm quoted uh, Mother Teresa, who said it's Im so important to listen. But I think in Mother Teresa's quote, she did exactly, in her instance, exactly what you do with listening, and that's using all your senses. You're present yes. in all your senses. She listened, God listened, every sense. And you talked about that, touch, sight, uh, hearing. It, you used all your senses to really pay attention, and that's what makes for a good doctor. Yeah, there it is. Present in every sense. I, uh, you know, it's interesting. And my gut is is uh, n hasn't been the same since uh, someone was grounding around in there with 
with uh, <laughs> okay for those who don't know the man has gone through a major surgery, <laughs> surgery yeah. to wipe out cancer in his body so yes. his gut was somewhat decimated in so, that surgery yeah so this morning when I, or this morning it you know it wakes me up around three o'clock and it says you might want to go to the other room uh, uh, save your wife uh, some uh, distress and even in her sleep and you know you go into the other room and you you're, you're awake and you go back to to bed it's like 3:30 in the morning and and you lay there and you, and your mind is working now and so yeah i have uh, little sheets of paper next to my bed that i can scratch notes on and that's what i i did this morning i i um i was working on the introduction to the book and that's what i'm talking about is listening so uh, anyway i probably wrote for half an hour and then I read for maybe another 45 minutes or something like that. Finally at about five, um, I turned the light off um, and rolled over in bed and she gets up to go to rehab. She says, well, that's been a long, interesting night. <laughs> <laughs> Woke you up, huh? <laughs> no, I mean, no, it was you just as I'm rolling, I turned the you light were... off, roll over in bed, she gets up and she says, well, I'm going to rehab, see you later. Okay. So there it is. Um, Your night. My night. Well, you know, today we had uh, some calls come in before the program began, and we oh, do wow. appreciate the calls. We you listeners, do we do appreciate it. I think we'll just go through the yeah, calls that we had. The first would like a simple explanation of the difference between influenza type A and type B. Uh, type B is, is meaner than type A. That's a good, I mean, if you have the flu, you have the flu, if it's right. A or B. But if it's B, it's tougher to get over. And I'll give, you, I'll give you the explanation of influenza, or actually the explanation of common cold. And here it is. Day one, it hits you, and you ache all over. You feel like you're going down. You have um, uh, a fever, maybe 100, and 100 101, sweats, chills. Um, sweats when the temperature is going up, chills when the temperature is going, um, or no, I'm sorry, chills when the temperature is going up, sweats when the temperature is going down. And um, uh, just that uh, malaise, that ache all over, lousy, crappy feeling, I'm coming down with something bad, I'm, uh, and you're infectious at that point. Day two, two. you start coming out of it, but th then you note that your nose is really uh, cranking away with some mucus. And um, uh, uh, drainage starts rolling, um, and if, uh, maybe you can't sleep well because your airway is not open so well, and you're snorting and, and stuffy, and if you have sleep apnea, it doubles its severity. And day three to day 14, you have a cough. <clears throat> the nose kind of settles down over the next four to five days, and the fever goes away definitely at day one or two. Um, uh, and the ache all over uh, kind of gradually improves through the, t the, the, the uh, a week or so. But the hacky cough can persist uh, two weeks, sometimes three. Uh, if you've got some little bit of asthma or if you have a triggery, um, twitchy lungs, then you'll have that hacky cough. Let me interject for, for just a second. When you said on day one, that's when you're really um, contagious. Is there a day in this when this 
the concern of contagion is less. Uh, yeah, it, it, um, you're most infectious probably the moment that you're f starting to feel symptoms. And you probably are contagious for the day or two before you get the symptoms. Okay. And you're probably most contagious over the first uh, couple, <coughs> two or three days. But after that, you may not Your be. contagion goes away. And okay. uh, it gets better, although... Although you, you could sneeze all over someone you, and then you're still contagious. You right? have some of it. And, you know, the worst part of it is you're coughing. And that's a spreading device. Right. Uh, okay. There you go. And then you use hand uh, stuff like uh, Bob just did to try to protect us from all of his ills. So those are the descriptions of a virus. It could be a cold or a flu. What denotes flu then? How does that come up differently? So, uh, <coughs> a cold is a mild flu. Uh, influenza A is a severe uh, symptomatology that I described, and B is worse. And that it's basically... So there's your answer. Uh, and they're different viruses. Uh, uh, but um, most, mostly uh, those are the symptoms. It's a respiratory problem. Uh, the, here's the big thing to remember though. If there's a hook I want you to carry is this, that the fever goes away that first day after a day of it or so. Uh, you shouldn't have a fever uh, after that. Oftentimes, um, particularly people who are immunocompromised, people who are in chemotherapy, people who are elderly, people who have lung disease, asthma, people who are taking steroids or some kinds of medicines, people who are very young. If you're immunocompromised, then your lungs take a hit, you know, uh, but they come out of it, although you're hacking for a couple of weeks. But some people who are immunocompromised will come down with a secondary bacterial infection, and that's life-threatening. Most of the time, uh, it isn't the flu that kills the, uh, uh, the person. It's the pneumonia, the bacterial pneumonia that follows. Um, and it follows because your immune system is compromised, your lungs take a hit, and in comes the weeds. You know, that's what it is. Okay. Well, I hope that answered their question. It was quite detailed. We have another caller she with a question. She wanted a simple question simple no no <laughs> i'm sure she wanted to know that and, and it made sense I'm so sure if you have a helpful. fever if you come down if you get a second fever you know a fever on day three four five six get in and be seen okay just to be sure and be safe our next has a different question totally different subject i've developed severe ingrown toenails what can i do severe ingrown toenails well uh, i i saw this all my clinical life and commonly what I would do would be to, uh, the, the conservative thing to do is to try to drain the infection that is under the curl of the outside edges of the toenail. And uh, I would get ingrown toenails when I was at the lake as a teenager and running around the sand, the dirt would get down in there right. and then it would get secondarily infected. And if, I'd go to the Dr. Bell at the time and he would take a tweezer and uh, push uh, cotton gauze or actually just twists of, of cotton underneath the edge of the nail and the cotton would keep it open and let the bacteria drain and let your body heal itself and so sometimes you can take a tweezer and push little rolls of cotton sometimes what you can't you, people don't buy cotton gobs anymore you know they'll buy 
Q-tips. And I would take the cotton from the end of the Q-tip and steal it from the Q-tip and then use that to just kind of, not very much cotton, just enough to have a wick to drain the, the mucus and the infectious material from underneath the curled nail. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of times you can, j if you just uh, got underneath that curl and dragged the dirt out that was, or the sand or the pieces of foreign body that got underneath the, the nail, it would solve the problem. But sometimes you just need to remove that outer edge of the nail. And so they'll come into the clinic. I would numb the toe, which would hurt like all it would just plain hurt. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> got it. And uh, but it, there's no way to do that. You do it slowly, is what you do, and you push the novocaine up underneath the nail uh, with a needle. You know that that kind of makes you that curls your toes. Just talking about it. But um, once the pain is gone, then you can cut. You can go up and cut the nail all the way back um, to the base of the nail and pull that outer edge out just remove the outer edge a quarter of the nail um, once you've numbed it there's no pain there and then the pus rolls out uh, and generally there's so much inflammation there's no bleeding because you know you've your body's been down in there inflamed as all get out because there's infection and it solves a problem well we do have a very good podiatrist now at the Brookings clinic or yes. the Brookings hospital I don't know which but and a lot of would those would take care of that for you. Yeah. They do a good job. Hey, we're doing to take a break. We appreciate the calls. We'll get to the next right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We have had a number of calls come in. We really appreciate that. You've been listening and waiting for Dr. Holmes' reply. Our next call has to do with high fructose corn syrup. Why is high fructose used in soft drinks so bad for us? Are diet soft drinks any better or safer, healthier or safer? Mm -hmm. So regular soft drinks, diet soft drinks, they add in the regular, they add high fructose syrup. Why is it so bad for you? Yep. Well, I think it's because it's an empty calorie. You know, there's nothing else with it. It's just sugar. Uh, I don't think that it's the evil of all evils that a lot of people purport. Now, I might be wrong used to be I thought that sugar was just calories, four calories per gram, protein, four calories per gram, fat, nine calories per gram, and if the evil is really too many calories, then, you know, it's just, it's four calories. The problem is with sugar and sweets is that you can't eat just one. It's something, it, it's, it's infectious. You have a little bit of that and then you want more. I mean, if I have a piece of that peanut brittle that my sister-in-law Holly sends from South Carolina, and it's so Holly, good, <gasps> it's you know that's it's just covered in chocolate and it has this sweet. Oh, oh it's just. I so want to meet Holly. Well, <laughs> you end up eating the, uh, the, the, the sweet little thing, and it's a nice little treat, right? And then you want the other next one, and then you want the next one. <laughs> I think that's the danger in uh, the high fructose. Um, a thing and so my my sense is that you know if we can limit ourselves to small amounts of those things if you had one coke a day with all of the f high corn 
you know, corn you're going to be just fine with one a day, but nobody stops at one a day. No, right? that's the problem. It wants it wants more. You know, some people like, think that the diet are much worse for you. Do you have any thoughts on that? The diet drinks? No, there's some data to say that there may be if you take certain uh, artificial sweeteners, aspartame, for example, and you uh, high dose rats with aspartame day after day. High dose, high dose, high dose, high dose. I mean, a lot of, a lot of aspartame. You know, two cases of Diet Coke equivalent. Um, That's a lot. Uh, the rats will. There's a higher incidence of cancer in the rats than in the rats who don't get the the, the aspartame. And uh, actually, I have switched uh, when I put artificial sweetener on my breakfast cereal. I have switched to stevia based, which is a plant based sugar alternative. And um, um, and that I think is pr- uh, Consumer Report, and some physicians uh, think that that might be you know that's as, as good as you can say might be safer. I think the re- reality is you know that um, too much of that uh, type of a thing is not a good, not good. And so I would you know um, I would say that you know just don't drink uh, a case of. A artificial sweetened don't overdo any of it yeah which is a good thing to tell people at this time of year that's right holidays are here and people overdo meals they overdo sweets right everything best not to overdo there are people who say that the epidemic of obesity in the united states and spreading through the world is a result of corn cheap corn syrup which is because our government has has uh, paid the farmers to raise it you know has supplemented the the market and made it made corn syrup cheap i i don't know if that's true or not it's a theory it's kind of a there's a little you know there's a little bit of a of a uh somebody's trying to do us wrong to it and uh and and people like to hear those kinds of stories i, I think, think the truth of the matter is let the buyer beware we're responsible for our own selves uh you know eat and and drink responsibly think about you know that you're you have children in the room watching you do what you're doing every day that keeps me uh, uh a little bit less wild and crazy you know i I, th- I think to myself what example am i showing to children in the room there you go so there it is on that note we're going to take our final break and be back welcome back to prairie Dak radio joan hogan here with dr rick Holm, and he's been answering the questions of our callers and we have another question we'd like to get to before we run out of time a person called in about her grandson and he keeps getting sore throats, uh, colds, and tonsillitis, do they still perform tonsillectomies? Are there risks? What are the benefits? And the answer is, uh, I think that, um, you know, for example, um, ears, nose, and throat people, when their whole, you know, their whole income is rotated around doing tonsillectomies, a lot of them were doing them, you know, day in, day out. Too many. Every kid in the town had a tonsillectomy. You know, anybody who has a sore throat, oop, time to do a tonsillectomy. Uh, I think that there's a problem with that. Um, You know, the tonsils are really basically lymph nodes. That's all they are. They drain. um, The infections go through this filter before they go elsewhere. So it's a filter. It's a lymph node is a filtering system to take out bugs and bad things. And... Uh, because in the lymph nodes are concentrated the white cells that that fight infection 
and if the bugs have to drain through that area they clip them off as they as they go by so we like to leave lymph nodes when we can sometimes however they get sick they get infiltrated they get abscesses um, and they get so sick that they're a source of infection and there's a time to remove the uh, tonsils uh, when people keep having recurring sores in the throat and you can sense that those are ill lymph nodes back in the back of the throat. Well, with any surgery, there's always some risk, but if they're that sick and keep getting that bad, then it is worth having the surgery. And your thought? Time and time again, you know, there was a period of time back when I was training, in fact, that they said, don't take them out at all. And then, you know, you come out to practice and you see they're still doing them. And then you go, well, it must be wrong. And then the, you come along to the answer, ooh, it was a good thing because here's a person who had them out and they're so much better now. And look, we've run out of time, Joe. We have run out of time, but we wish all of you a Merry Christmas. We hope you've all enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program. And we'll listen again for Prairie Doc, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Rick, that's all till next year. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Joan, and to you, Bob, too, and to all out there. Merry Christmas, and stay healthy out there.